Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. You know, there's something about being in the house together that we uh, have missed. It's, uh, it's good to be back. And uh, for all of those, all of you online, like, we're glad you've joined us as well. And hopefully yeah. one day soon, we will uh, not have to worry about masks and social distancing and all of those things that are in place right now. But uh, we're so glad all of you are here this morning. And uh, we look forward to this conversation. Uh, Marlon and Anna Schwartz, make them welcome. They joined us this morning on stage. Uh, they're, they're, they're one of the brave uh, to do so. Listen, I wanted to just uh, read a passage out of 1 Corinthians uh, 13, known as the love chapter. And I, I to kind of set the stage for where we're going this morning, I thought uh, this is a good passage that is uh, familiar to many of us. But uh, from... Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, here's the key, but didn't love, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't have love for others, I would have gained nothing. Here's the key. Love is patient. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So don't be a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. That would, yes. Right? Right, right, right. That, that would be one way to look at it. But listen, this is the predicament we find ourselves in, though, you guys. This idea that love is patient, love is kind. We have a clear description of what love is. And the opposite of that is what love is not. Love is not impatient. Love is not unkind. And yet, as we have conversation this morning, and as you think about the relationships you're in, specifically if you are in a married relationship or in a, a, a love relationship of sorts, you will find that what we're talking about is true for you as well. Because this isn't easy stuff. If it was, uh, we would have far less divorces. And if it was, we would uh, all be much more like Jesus. And so uh, as we talk about this this morning, I'm just encouraged that we can have a few minutes where we actually press into another uh, we often talk about the way of Jesus here, but this is another way that we represent Jesus wherever we go, is if we have healthy, honest, 
authentic relationships. So, how many months ago or how many years ago was it that you guys uh, joined us in the Symbus conversation? So, two years ago, like 2019, we did Symbus with you guys. Okay. So, does that account for like the six months it took us to get there? <laughs> oh, just kidding. Just kidding. Symbus is an acronym. If, if you're new here, Symbus is an acronym for saving your marriage before it starts. Symbus came out with a saving your marriage before it starts plus, which is for married couples. And uh, this is probably one that, I mean, we love taking couples through the Symbus Plus because it is, uh, uh, it hits at the very thing. Sometimes people that are uh, not married yet don't really know what they're getting into, right? They don't know what they're getting into. And once you're married, you're in it. And then you really have to slog through the mess sometimes in order to get to the other side. So, uh, 2019, that was, we had some great times together. Um, we thought it was great because we kept seeing progress. Sometimes they didn't think it was so great, right? <laughs> so let's start from the beginning. Um, uh, how old were you, Marlon, when you married your child bride? I was 24. <laughs> and she was 19 when we got married. Oh, that's not so young. How old were you when you met, though? Um, she was almost 15. Oh, that's better than saying she was 14. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. That's all right. right that's all right. And then um, you became like born again Christians at what point? After we got married. After you got married. Yep. 2006, seven, mm -hmm. somewhere in there. So considerably after. Yeah. So we married in 2004 and then 2006, um, I became born again, and then Marlon in that same year, I would okay. say. But we had very different journeys and how that, how we received Jesus in our life. Sure. So what would you say is it that prompted you then, okay, so I have to do math. You said 19, so 13 years later that you decided to do this thing about looking at your marriage. <laughs> I would say life happened <laughs> you know so Marlon and I are very different like we process differently when situations happen I like to take the time I like to retreat find a space I like to process it through and um, for Marlon he likes to talk it out and so um, that helps him come to conclusions and he's very driven motivated and and you know, does stuff very fast. Everything he does is just like really quick and we get to the point. And so sometimes when situations happen in our life and I need that moment and he needs me to talk this through, it hasn't gone so well and we didn't understand. And so all of a sudden coming to life and saying, we need some tools. If we're going to keep going, we need some tools. How do we do this? Well, and I would also say to that, um, by the way, we're in the second week of For the Love, and, and this conversation is, um, is pointing us again to if we're going to have any depth in our relationships, if we're going to have any long-standing relationship of love, it requires really hard work. 
And these guys were leaders. If you don't know them, like they have led in multiple arenas and people look to them as leaders. But you know what? They, I don't know how many people actually knew some of the roadblocks they were hitting. Because when you're a leader, um, you need people to talk to. You need people where you can let your guard down and not just leaders, but every one of you in the room, whether you lead in some capacity or not, you need a safe place. We all need a safe place where we're not going to be judged by the things that we're walking through, the things that we're up against. We need those places. And sometimes as leaders, we can't be as transparent as we would like to be or as we should be because we need, like y'all don't always want to know all the stuff that's going on with us, right? But we have places, Brenda and I are fortunate to have places where we can go to take care of some of the things that we, are, we come up against at times. So all of that to say that these guys are the people that others have looked to for help. They're the guys that would have been called to say, my marriage is on the rocks. I can't talk to my husband anymore. So what do they do when they get in that position? And fortunately, over the last number of years, we had built a relationship of trust, and, um, and they trusted us eventually in those conversations. Brenda and I are known to, like, press buttons. Like, so we're a safe place, but we kind don't of. like to leave you where you are at when you come to us. And so uh, the significance of listening and then being able to push the right button and... Um, yeah, we'll talk more about that, but they got a little hostile a few times. I was going to say, do you feel like we push buttons? <laughs> oh, yeah? Okay. I think uh, you said a couple times, Anna, that um, you kind of really had to talk yourself into coming the next time, right? And then um, conversations afterward. Yes. Yes. So I felt like you guys provided such a safe place that um, when we would meet you would ask the questions, and I, I did feel very safe, and so sometimes things were said that, I think you used the term last week, trigger, the trigger? Yes, trigger. So, so sometimes when we talked about certain topics and things were shared, it would trigger mm -hmm. um, something on the inside, like, why did you say that? You have not told me that, and we've been together for 17 years, and it came out there, you know? so. Things would come out and we, we would leave the setting and sometimes talk for, you know, it was like you guys, you know, lit, lit a spark and then we fanned the flames and we were able to talk things through um, that were helpful and, and figure out like consciously, like look at some of the, the ways we react are in our subconscious, but then bringing those to surface, putting words to it, and realizing why do I trigger when that's said, or what makes me, what happened? So we talk through experiences, or maybe, you know, things that, yeah, we walk through, and figure out what that is so that we're not constantly triggering. What would you say, I'm gonna ask you this, Marlon. What would you say is, um, a wall, we could call it like a wall that you tend to, to run into most, or we, also, we often talk about it too, like a tree that you just keep running around. Like, 
I don't know if you're comfortable in sharing, like what is the thing that triggers or trips you guys up the most? I would say one of the things that we have dealt with the most that has been a trigger that has caused our roller coaster is the different processors. So I'll internally process and I'll come up, you know, if there's a problem, then I will put all those pieces together on the inside and I've already come to my conclusion. And then when I share something with her and be like, hey, let's do this, and then she's kind of like, well, how are we gonna do that? And then she starts talking and to me, it's like all the negative things was how I perceived it to be. And through this Symbus and, and these other things, these tools that we've gotten, we've come to understand that she has the external processor. So she, it doesn't really register on the inside for her until it comes out of her mouth. And so if I don't understand that properly, when it comes out, it feels like she's just against me and against what I'm saying. And she's actually not. She's just um, not understanding about the process. And so she's wanting to put the pieces of the puzzle together to come to the conclusion or to be together in it. But she can't do that until she speaks it out and, and her concerns or questions about it, when it comes out of her mouth, then she can start to put the pieces together and she recognizes what she's saying and how that makes sense and comes together. So that has been um, constantly because then when she would do that, she would you know first come right out of the gate with what I perceived to be pushback and no, we're not doing that. Then I just shut down Stonewall and walk out the door. Fine, whatever, go back to work to what I do best. So. Interesting. So you've got it figured out and you probably won't hit it again, right? Um, no, doesn't work that way. Sweeping things under the rug doesn't work because you pull the rug up. There it is again. So it never works. And we have always talked about having a relationship that we don't want to be shallow. And that hurts a lot of times. Sometimes, I mean, you got to be, we've, we're brutally honest with each other and you know, we just say it how it is sometimes and it doesn't come out right. Um, but at the end of the day, we work through it, and each time it feels like our relationship gets more and more stable if we're willing to work through it. But to just sweep it aside because we have our differences hasn't worked for us. Yeah, so, so when you talk about being married 17 years and all of this stuff started coming out, um, you'd acknowledge, right, that, that it took 17 years of life to kind of finally get to the place where you were able to look at yourself honestly about what exactly is going on because the way we communicate with each other is often uh, indicative of our own internal patterns and sometimes it's the way we talk to ourselves too so we don't we don't maybe talk to ourselves out loud but there sure is a lot of internal conversation going on and so sometimes those internal conversations spill out into our relationships the ones that we love the most the ones that we love the most. And so I think one of the ways that we, in our conversations, I think that's one of the things that came up a lot was, Marlon, how do you talk to Anna so that she can hear you? And Anna, how do you talk to Marlon so that he can hear you? I feel, I feel like I remember that being like a turning point and something that hadn't really been given a lot of thought to up until that point. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, one of the phrases in Symbus that was said, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm saying it exactly right, but um, to the point of 
you are only as healthy or as strong as the weakest person in the relationship. And so when you said about the, the internal voice, how you talk to yourself, and guys might have some of this, but ladies, I don't know if you can relate to me, but when I consciously listened to my internal voice and what I said to myself, I was so unkind. I was so harsh, so critical, and for, for me, I could only receive love to the degree that I loved myself. And so when we did this Symbis, the assessment comes back, and I remember seeing my percentage, and it was on well-being. And I was like, oh, no one likes going through those flags. But the communication, things that happened through missing each other, where we couldn't, he was speaking to me, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. And so working through, for me, it was um, being conscious of my own well-being and changing that voice on the inside. And I compared myself a lot to Marlon, how he heard God, how, how God spoke to him, and, and he woke up, and he was very disciplined, very motivated. And um, when I compared myself, what happened was I disqualified myself. So this voice got louder in my head, and so I became... I didn't love myself, and so it was hard to receive love. So um, in the morning, I look at it like a shower. Um, motivation is something I choose every day. Like um, to speak, I, and the word, I, I use the Bible, I use the word, and I um, wake up, and I speak the word over my life, and I give myself affirmations of who God made me to be, who he says I am, the value that I hold in him, and that today everything my hands touch will prosper, and I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I declare these things, and it has been so beneficial to Marlon and I um, as I'm conscious about how I view myself, because in that way, when I love myself and value who God says I am, um, I can receive his love and then give it to Marlon and also receive it from, from him. Yeah, that's so good. I was just gonna say as you were talking, I think we think of comparison often like I might compare myself to other women, but we do it in our relationships too. You know, like you were saying, you compared your walk with Jesus to his yeah. and you felt diminished. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, comparison is never a good thing. No, and I, I loved, watching how he lived a disciplined, motivated life. And so what I was saying is like a shower. I choose that every day. I can't shower one time and smell good in two weeks. I mean, you might be able to, but I can't. And so in the same way, when I wake up in the morning, I choose to take on that. So I don't compare myself to, to Marlon because Jesus in him looks different than in me. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So I, I, uh, I'm hearing you talk about the comparison between the two of you. Um, talk a little bit about the, um, the way that your relationship started in terms of, like, I think, Marlon, you phrased it like, um, so you're a little bit older than she is, and she looked to you because of some... I think I can say this, some father issues that you had, Anna, that you look to, to Marlon then to fulfill those. 
Um, talk a little bit about that. I think that's really helpful when we think in terms of our own awareness of the baggage on our back that we sometimes don't recognize until we get into this kind of relationship when we're married and all of a sudden all the garbage that we've been pushing aside all these years comes to the forefront. Well, that's not how we started. Um, you know how they say opposites attract and then opposites attack? Well, we, we were definitely attracted first and then we started attacking and we didn't know why. And But in regards to that, what you're talking about is is that anybody that is maybe leaning on the perfectionist side or like a taskmaster type person, which I am naturally inclined to do when I'm not necessarily in a, in a good place, what I know to do and what, what makes you feel good is when you can follow uh, just a strict guideline and you can feel pretty good about yourself when all your ducks are in a row. And so then when you have a spouse or a partner who might not be inclined to do that and they are more relationship-oriented, um, then and you don't, like if you're not fulfilled in your own life and that is kind of your measuring system, then you will take that and put that onto the person who's not disciplined and you'll basically take a hold of their life and be like, this is what you're going to do, and you can just go down the row and pretty soon try to turn them into who you are because it, it gives you some um, human gratification that now they're towing their, their line or, or the, uh, their weight as well. And so that's where things, I would say, started to kind of go sideways for us is, is where um, I started putting these expectations on, on Anna of, what you know the kids should look like the house should look like all these things because this is what a disciplined christian life would look like and so it just started like slowly it just started festering under the surface and and until one day um probably five years ago roughly five years ago i think for the first time where she came unglued and she basically looked at me and said you know not necessarily a christian thing or something that we would do in church but basically said leave, walk out the door, and uh, gave me the finger. And so with, with that being said, you know, that might mess with your religion, but the truth is, is, is that at the end of the day, that's what law does. That's what laws and rules and regulations, when we choose relationship, I don't care what it is in life, if you call yourself a Christian and you choose law and rules and regulations over relationship, that is what's going on on the inside, whether it ever manifests or not. And so you might think, oh, you know, you can't say that or whatever. And that's, I'm, I don't mean to offend anybody, but the truth is that religion will kill you. And it started to kill us. And so it, that was kind of really an eye-opening moment for me. And I really believe that that was supposed to happen because it, like, it, it caught me off guard. And for the first time, I was like, whoa, you know, what's going on? And so that kind of started our journey. And you started to open up about the things that I was doing. And I felt pretty good about myself until then. And so she started breaking this thing down, and it was, it was hard on my pride. It really was. It, was. it was like getting punched in the face again and again and again. And, but it wasn't until like, I started to realize what my operating system was, and my operating system was law and rules and regulations, and that if that's your motivation on the inside, that's broken. And we, our, our relationship has to come from a place of love. And like Anna was saying, that in order to be able to give love, you have to receive love. And so it came to a point to where um, 
the, the thing that you were saying about how she kind of looked to me is, is that there was a point in our life to where I basically said, I'm not your dad. You figure your own life out. You get with Jesus and you have him speak to you because I'm not God to you. And because what, and I needed to kind of say that for myself because I kind of felt like I was a dad to her. And it wasn't, I could tell it wasn't healthy and I just kind of had this feeling about it. And so that's why I, I said something. And then that's where um, you started growing and being your own person, I would say. But that's interesting to me because you were the one that had been telling her what to do. Right. And so she could have very easily felt that way. Right. Right? Like, but if I'm honest, I didn't actually like the results. I didn't like the result in our relationship. Okay. I liked the fact that she was towing the line and doing what I asked her to do. Because it looked good or it was easy for you? Not necessarily look good, but like for, you know, for a perfectionist, I like having things in order. Right. And when everything's in order, it's like, oh, I feel good now. Right. So it was more, it wasn't like, it wasn't really that I cared what anybody else thought because I really didn't. If the house was a mess, I wouldn't give a rip if somebody walked in the door and it was, saw it messy. It's kind of like, if you judge me by that, I don't really care. That, it wasn't that. It was just that like, I got a satisfaction mm -hmm. in, in the natural of watching. Sure. Yeah. You, you would um, use the phrase like order brings peace. And so that created an atmosphere of peace for you. And, and what did it do for you? Uh, that thing that I did to him. <laughs> well deserved. So it wasn't peaceful for you. Not the order. necessarily. Yeah. I do. I do like it now. Like since you know the discipline of order and what it does, I absolutely love it. Now I, I feel like, you know, I I have that a little bit more like than I used to. But I I'm that personality that I like waking up in the morning and just you know. Wee, whatever I feel like doing today. And so sometimes I would look at my house and that wasn't an option that day. It wasn't like I get to choose. It was, you know, bringing order to the house before he came back home. But wouldn't you say that youth are thriving in this place now only because he did not force you to do it? Like, yeah. It's not his decision anymore about whether how you get up in the morning and how you order your day that's now a, a decision you made based on your experience with jesus yeah. mm -hmm. is now the reason that you're doing the things you're doing and i would i would give credit to simbis for that in my life where i thought going into this marriage therapy or whatever this was that i wasn't sure about um i was kind of concerned because anytime we had experience with you know, talking about marriage, it was this, this picture of like meshing together, like the two become one. And I had done that so much because I really did, I admired Marlon so much when I met him and the way that he loved and lived life. I wanted, I wanted that. And um, so I did, I, I looked to him for answers, kind of plugged into him as my source. And I had to unplug and plug it in, you know, to, really to the right source. Right in order to find, and what I was saying, Simbis helped me find who I was. And it reminded him who he fell in love with because what happened was by um, looking to him and him giving these orders, I slowly started dying to who I was. I, I, was a, I, I wanted a big social life and the more people in my life, the happier I was. Marlon would be out at work and he, did, he does so well. He's, 
you know, social, but when he comes home, he doesn't care if he doesn't see or talk to anyone the rest of the day. And then that could be, you know, he's out during the day, at home at night, and this just became my social life, my friend's life, I had to really fight for, and I sure did. (laughs) (laughs) You dragged him along a few times, right? I will say this, uh, for any of you that can relate to this type of relationship is, is that after I realized where things were at and it was unhealthy, when I chose to lay it down and I realized through, through Simbus that it was just a lot of unrealistic expectations and stuff that I was putting on her and I chose to take a step back and say, that's not fair, and I let those things go, like she's doing, I would say double now on her own doing, on her own choosing of what I was trying to get her to do before. I mean, everything she does around the house and with the kids, it's just a total different atmosphere and how she gets it done and and being productive without the pressure and yet somehow being able to pull that off has been pretty awesome to see. Sweet. Um, We decided that we had to look at the time because we could probably talk for hours. Um, But I do wonder if you could say, and maybe you've already said it, like, what would you say is your biggest takeaway from the time that we spent together in Simbus? Can you summarize it at all? Yeah, I, mine, I think I kind of touched on it, but the well-being part was one of my biggest ones, and then communicating, um, how to listen. Um, Marlon communicates very intense, like very, what he projects, he's a big feeler. And when he comes in the room, he doesn't even have to use words. His, he projects and I pick up what... He's got a presence. Yes, yes, he, yep. And so um, for me, I do not like controversy, and so I would shy back. So sometimes just um, his presence in the room instantly made me like shrink back because I was like, oh, we are about to address something. And so I, I sometimes didn't um, listen to understand in that way because of that. So that tool of how we process and how he needs to be heard was life-changing because now stuff blows up all the time. Like, I mean, it's, there's always a party in some area of the house or, you know, things come up and we revert back to what our, our nature is. Like, okay, I want to, and then I remember how to hear him and how to like defuse so that we can come to conclusions a little bit quicker and... Yeah, it's good. Um, I would say that through Simbus, our downtime in our relationship has gone from like three days to hours maybe. And I think the biggest thing, like, like I told you in the, the other night... In the middle of conflict, you're saying. In the middle of conflict. Yes. So like when initially you hit the wall and you blow up and you know, you're at odds and however you deal with that, you know, if it's stonewalling or whatever it might be, um, like I did, was, you know, for days. Um, and through um, Simbus and the biggest thing I would say that it helped me was um, to have someone that you trust, someone there that's on the other side um, to meet with um, that can help you navigate through those decisions because a lot of times when you're in the middle of that, like, we can't really hear what's being said and it's heated, and so emotions play into it and all these things, and what I discovered in our conversations that we would have is is that Anna, like she would, 
like say something and it, you know, ladies, a lot of them have a memory like an elephant and she could remember stuff from 20 years ago. She would bring something up, I'd be like, whoa, I thought we dealt with that a long time ago. And so, but then I was hearing it from this side. She was relaying to Jean and Brenda what she was feeling, what was going on. And I was able, it didn't feel like it was so much addressed towards me. For, for whatever reason, I felt like I was more in a neutral place hearing her kind of like go off on what she was dealing with. And so I was able to hear her from that side. And so taking that and learning that when I'm in the middle of the conversation or when it initially happens, I can kind of remove my emotions from it to try to hear her on the front side rather than just to let the emotions flood you and you can't hear anything and then you're upset, but try to calm those emotions down and try to actually hear what the message is. Yeah, that's so good. And you're right, Brenda. We could, uh, we could do this for hours because there's a lot we haven't talked about yet. Um, but, hey, the band is somewhere in the room, I think, so you guys can come on up and uh, we'll, we'll close our time this morning. Um, the four of us talked a lot about the things that played into the circumstances you found yourself in kind of time and again. And, um, and some of that has to do with uh, the leadership that you've been, uh, the places you've led, as well as those that were in leadership over you. You guys, uh, unless, unless we're healthy, uh, we will continue to hit walls. And unless we're healthy in ourselves, um, unhealthy leaders above us will uh, tend to uh, be incredibly unhelpful especially if they don't have the insight to their own, um, their own uh, fallenness or their own faults. And so um, what I would say to you guys is that I think that everything you've gone through uh, up to this point, and this is true for all of us, that the things we go through, we go through so that we can help others that then go, are going through the same thing. And uh, that's, that's just scripture. I mean, we come alongside those that feel the pain, that experience the things that we've already experienced. And so I am uh, kudos to you guys uh, for uh, sharing with us this morning and for allowing us to uh, benefit again from your own life experiences. And I know that you'll just continue to, to lead um, and uh, people will continue to look to you, but I love the fact that you are healthier today, individually and as a couple than you were um, two years ago. And for that, we're, that's exciting to me. It's exciting to me to see where you will go and what you'll do. I just want to say it to encourage everybody out there is, is that I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've been through or what you've walked through or like what your born again Christian life has been like or if you haven't ever received Jesus. Um, if you haven't, I'm telling you, it's incredibly hard to do relationship without the love of the Father. And so if you've never experienced love coming from God and unconditional love, then it's just really hard to do in life. And that's where I believe that I got off track and that my picture of ministry was, you know, going out and helping someone in the streets or somewhere out away from my family. And I didn't realize that for years and, and I got on this um, just performance thing of this is what it looks like to, to please God. And, and I would say that in the past year, I found a lot more 
uh, peace, a lot more joy in realizing that God loves whatever you put your heart into. And when you view it as that whatever you do is an offering to him. And if you, if you can change that, if you have a processor like I had who is just, it's about the task to prove to Jesus that you actually love him. First John actually says, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And so if we can live from a place to where we receive from him, we are aware of his presence, and we let his love, and we experience that in our own life, then we can reciprocate that to those who are closest to us and not run them over. And we can, we can love those who are closest, which is sometimes take the hardest hit. So. And what Marlon is talking about is not religion. We're talking about relationship. Yes, Jesus founded uh, the Christian church. So there is a, there, there is a, there, there's discipline, there's, there's a religious experience, if you will, but it is a relationship experience. And so many of times we think that sitting here, being in the pew on a Sunday morning is how we achieve righteousness. And I'm telling you, I just want to reiterate what, what Marlon said. This is not about what I do, but it is about who I know. This is who I know. Your relationship with Jesus is where it all starts. If you want to get things straightened out in your marriage, if you want to get things straightened out in your relationships, start with the most important relationship you can ever have. And that is acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is. We often say around here, uh, it's as simple as Jesus, I give you my life. It's not complicated. It's not uh, in-depth. Uh, there's a lot of in-depth conversations you'll have with Jesus going forward. But um, I would just also just invite you, if, if you've not said yes to Jesus, do that. Do that and see what God might do in your life. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.